Well, good morning, everybody. Are you ready for week eight of the Summer of Love? Yes. Uh, well, uh, for those of you that are ready and for those of you that clapped in your hearts, why don't you go ahead and grab a Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, if you're a guest with us, first of all, let me just say we are so glad you're here. Um, the last several weeks, I keep seeing new faces while I'm up here, and, and, and I want to meet you. Um, but the problem is... Um, I'm extroverted and I'm easily distracted. And so, you know, I usually try to make my way to the lobby, but by the time I finally get out there, you're halfway to lunch already. And so um, here's what I'm going to do uh, today. Uh, right after service, I'm going to jet to the info desk. That's a desk right outside these doors there. Um, and I'll be standing right there. And if you're new with us in the last few weeks, I would love to meet you. If you've got a moment to just stop on by and say hey. Um, I'll tell you this. I'll have a gift back there that's even better than our normal uh, welcome gift we give to first-time guests. So come on by, come find out what it is. It's pretty great. Um, but even greater than that gift uh, is this chapter of the Bible that we're in this summer. Um, was that smooth? <laughs> uh, we, uh, we are, uh, again, I started this off by saying if you're new, uh, we are in, we're spending our summer going through this chapter of the Bible that's all about love. Um, according to Jesus, this is the uh, most important thing in life. And so we said this chapter, it's famous for a reason. Uh, the, this chapter, it offers us a vision of life that is um, just beautiful. Just, just listen to these words here. This is 1 Corinthians 13. This is what we're spending our summer in. Pick it up in verse 4. It says this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And um, I just want to ask as we get going, like, can you imagine if you lived that way? Take a moment to look back over that list one more time. Could you imagine if this described your past week? See, um, there's a reason this chapter is famous. Because um, though we often live the opposite of this chapter, if we could have some real talk. Um, what the Bible tells us is that the whole reason Jesus came was to redeem us from our brokenness and to restore this life of love in us. And so what we're doing in this series, what we're spending our whole summer doing, is going through this description of love, one word at a time, one piece at a time. And we're trying to take Jesus up on his gospel promise, that he came to redeem us from brokenness and restore these things in us. And so we're asking him, by the power of his spirit, to press these things into our lives in a greater measure this summer, so that we might increasingly live this most excellent way. And today we've come to verse 7 where we read that love always protects. Um, now this is the one word on the whole list uh, where English translations really differ in how they try to capture what's going on here. Uh, the New International Version that we've been reading from says love always protects. Uh, the ESV which we normally use here says uh, bears all things. The New American Standard Bible says keeps every confidence. Uh, the New Living Translation says never give up. And the Lightyear Translation says never surrender. I'm just kidding. Buzz doesn't have his own translation yet. I just want to see who's paying attention. Um, 
here's what's going on here. Here's why I think translators are straining to try to grab what's going on here. Um, the word Paul uses, stego in the Greek, um, it means, literally, it, it, it means to roof over something. Uh, to cover over something in such a way that would keep something undesirable out. And, and if you've ever lived in a home that lacked this, you'll immediately appreciate what this word is talking about. Um, when Karen and I first got married, we lived in a tiny little duplex. And um, man, when we first got married, we had so much to learn about one another. Um, so for example, um, I'm the kind of person, I don't really freak out about mosquitoes or bugs or anything like that. Uh, I leave them alone, they leave me alone. That's kind of our deal. Uh, Karen is not like that. Karen must have sweet blood that just attracts them. I don't know. So they attack her. And so um, out of all of that, Karen has kind of become the kind of person that has like three bug zappers and makes a sport out of it and tries not to kill all the bugs, but to leave one alive to tell their friends. Anyone else like that? Okay, you can all connect after service. Um, but anyway, uh, one day we came home and uh, we found that a swarm of bugs had invaded our home. And uh, to say this was a nightmare for Karen is quite an understatement. Uh, Karen was also pregnant, she wants me to note here. I forgot that detail, yeah. Okay, so that, that adds to it. And, and so we go around, uh, I'm spraying bug spray, Karen's out there like Laura Croft, like whack, 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 like getting all these bugs. And we're trying to fight it, and I'm trying to find what window did we leave open so that we could shut this so we could keep it out. And eventually after this not working, Karen said, all right, I'm out, I'm going to go stay at my mom's for a while, you figure this out. And so I searched the house, I searched the house, I searched the house. I couldn't find anything we left open until I found there was a, a little gap where the window met the wall. And I think what happened is it was a particularly hot day, and so the bugs thought, hey, it's hot outside. We don't want to be outside. We're going to go get inside and beat the heat. And so they all swarmed into our house. And so what I did was I grabbed some duct tape, because I'm handy like that, and I staggered over that opening in the wall. And all of a sudden, our house was covered, and it was safe for Karen to enter again. Paul says love is like that. Love is like a protective covering that bears the brunt of the elements and dangers outside so that that which is inside can be safe. Love always Now the question is, from what? Because I don't think Paul is saying love always protects from bugs and uh, rain and sun and heat outside or any of the things that would be covered by a, a physical roofing or a physical covering over. Some of you are like, he might mean that, you should check the Greek. Um, no, we're in a chapter about love. He's talking relationships here. So we get to talk like what... In what way are we supposed to cover over other humans in our relationship? Their relationship with us is like coming under the shelter of a house that's being attacked by bugs that you can breathe out and feel safe from that which is outside. And if you read the uh, New Testament, what you'll find is that Jesus and the authors of the New Testament consistently talk about three dangers that we will all face. Uh, they'll talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I put some scriptures in the uh, online guide if you want to look at that, if you want to see that in depth more. But this is um, a really helpful paradigm. You could just hold on to. This is one that originates with Jesus and his followers continued it on. That this is kind of a threefold danger we need to be aware of. And I think it's a helpful paradigm because I think what we tend to do is we tend to emphasize one of these dangers at the expense of the others. 
So for example, if you're really charismatic uh, and you come here on Sunday uh, and there's an issue with the soundboard and the mic comes out, your reaction, you, you just think about everything in terms of danger from the demonic realm. And so you think, oh, there's a demon in the soundboard, doesn't want the gospel to get out, um, which it could be. Uh, could also be that the sound guys checked out and checked in on Facebook. Not our sound guy, Jason, you're awesome. Uh, it could be that the pastor forgot to turn his mic on again, which if you've been here, you know that's actually probably very likely to be it. I mean, there's lots of things it could be, but if you're only aware of one danger, you're not going to be able to actually address the problem. Now, if you're more reformed, uh, you'll tend to see everything as a result of uh, human flesh and human frailty and the sinful desires we all have. And so you have no real category or framework for um, spiritual realm. You have no real framework for the influence from the world. We're just totally depraved sinners that sin, 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 and love to sin, 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 and we're 100% of the problem. Um, now, if you don't feel attacked yet, because uh, I am an equal opportunity offender, um, I will say if you're more fundamentalist, you might think that the problem is with the world. And if it weren't for the godless world out there, we would just live in a sinless paradise because we're awesome in here. See, what the Bible tells us is all three of those dangers are real. There's a demonic realm that hates us because we belong to God. We have a flesh that wars against us that we can't even trust our own desires 100% of the time. And there is an influence that comes from a broken, frail, folly world that can begin to teach us that things are normal, that are not actually normal. All these, all these things are real, and we have to be aware of all of these things because if we're not, what tends to happen is we tend to only be aware of one and we get pummeled by the other two. And so what I want to talk about today is what does it look like to love others in a way that's holistic, in a way that's aware of the entire danger that we face, but even more so aware of the love of God that would compel us, that would stir us, that would move us to step in and engage and to be a strong covering for those that God has put us in relationship with. And so I've got five things for you this morning, five ways I think that we can, by the grace of Jesus, filled with his love, we can be a people who protect always. Um, five ways, that's five points. What that means is with that many points, there's a word for you here this morning. Amen? You ready? All right, number one. By the way, if you're new, I usually do like one point, maybe two, three if I'm feeling fancy. So you really came on quite a Sunday. Hope you packed a snack. Number one. Uh, check your fears at the door. Um, when I became a dad, man, that, that changed my whole world. Uh, like when they put Maddie in my arms for the first time, um, my heart exploded in my chest. Um, I, I had no idea that I had this depth of love in me. It was the most beautiful thing ever. Um, it was also slightly terrifying because it also revealed some other things in me. It revealed a, a, a level of fear I had in me, and, it, and over the next several days, I began to see how fear could control my life in a way I'd never experienced before. Um, there were actually several clues those first few days, and um, Karen has reliably informed me that I've shared enough driving examples in this series, so I won't tell you about the drive home, which was crazy, by the way. Um, but when, when we got home, um, one of the first things I did is I set up uh, our fancy new baby monitor. 
which for our little girl, and we, we kind of had the first grandkid in the family, so we got all the gifts. We got the best technology. We got the best and the brightest, this new kind of heart rate, uh, this new uh, baby monitor that had a pad that would go under your child's mattress, and it would detect breathing and movement. And so if it ever stopped detecting that, it could send you an alarm, and so you could sleep with peace of mind. By the way, I have no idea how so many of you did this uh, for all the years before they invented this technology. But this was, this was the bargain we made, is I'll sleep safe at night because that'll tell me it'll be peace of mind. It'd be great. It'd be great if it actually worked. But it was new technology, and new technology never works. See, there's some of you that are younger parents than us that you're like, man, we have the heart rate thing for the ankle. What are you talking about? Old school over there, grandpa under the monitor. No, new technology. It never works. And so I couldn't get this thing to work. And so um, what did I, instead of acting like so many of you who faithfully raised children over the years and just trust them to Jesus, what I decided is I was so freaked out that she might stop breathing in the middle of the night that I slept on the floor in her room with a hand on her bed and woke up several times in the night every few minutes just to make sure she was still breathing now you can laugh at that you can awe at that but if that kind of fear goes unchecked that will lead to a type of overbearing control that leads me to parent really more out of my fear than about any real danger that she's facing and it's cute when she's two days old when she's 12 it's called helicopter parenting and they write books about it and so you could just pray for me. I'm just asking that Jesus would help me not be governed by fear when boys come around because, oh, I got some time. I got some time. Here, here's the point. This isn't just a parenting dynamic. This can happen in any relationship. It could happen in a romantic relationship, a dating relationship. This could happen in a friendship. This could happen in any relationship where you, uh, it starts off good. You enjoy somebody so much, but then it becomes a little too central to your life, and they displace Jesus in your life. And now you can't imagine life without that other human being, and you put a weight on them that only God is meant to bear. And so you begin to operate not out of love, but out of fear. And so rather than protect them from real harm, you begin to try to protect them and control them and keep them from anything that might harm you. And that might look a lot like protection on the outside. That might look like rules and curfew for children. And it might look like certain boundaries in a relationship. But if you are motivated by fear, I will tell you this. There is a world of a difference between how love protects and how fear controls. And people can tell the difference. Um, fear, when we are operating out of that kind of fear... It chokes the life out of a relationship and another person because no human's meant to bear that weight. It crushes them. Fear kills a relationship, but love builds up a relationship. And if we're going to get to the important and necessary work of protecting those that we love, we have to check our fear at the door and make sure that we're responding to real threats in their life, not imaginary threats or things that are a threat to our well-being because we've invested so much in what they are to us. We've got to be able to check our fear at the door because only when you do that are you going to be free to actually love and protect in a way that's life-giving and not overbearing that sucks the life out of others. So that's number one. We check by God's grace with God's help because you'll need it. If you really love anyone, you'll need it. But with God's grace and God's help, number one, we check our fear at the door. Number two, pray. 
I don't have a clever phrase for you on this one. This is so simple, but so overlooked. And, and I'm not even talking about you. I'll just self-confession talk about me right now. Um, like, I am an Enneagram type 8. Um, what that means, if you don't know what that is, if that sounds like voodoo, that means I'm a doer. I like to get stuff done. I'm a man of action. And so if there's a problem, I don't like to sit around and philosophize and think about ideas and ask everyone else for help. I like to charge the hill. Anybody with me? Yes, my people. We can connect after. We should probably connect with other people. We need their help. Because, um, uh, I mean, real talk, that, there's some strengths to that. Some of you need to connect with us, and you need to, you know, own it and step in the game. Okay, that's another sermon. But um, there are some real limits to living life that way. Like, okay, anyone that just raised their hand, anyone uh, ready, fire, and aim, and run into a wall this week? Yeah. There's some limits to this personality type. It's why Jesus gives lots of different personality types that we can balance one another out in a community. And so um, if you're like me, if you can really resonate with that, like I like to get stuff done, let's just take a moment to step back and learn from the greatest leader ever who got the greatest amount of work done, who accomplished the greatest mission and is the best known leader today. Jesus. On the night that he would charge the greatest hill in history, he spent the night praying. And uh, in the four Gospels, we actually get several accounts of the kinds of things he prayed for on his last day on earth. And one of the things we learn in the Gospel of John is that he prayed protection for his disciples. He said, I, I, I know they're going to fail. I, I know what's coming. And so he prays, Father, protect them from the evil one. Don't let them give over to him. Don't let them feel condemned by him. Bring them back. Woo them back. I know it's coming. I know it's going to be dangerous. I know he's going to strike them when they're at their weakest, but Father, protect them. He prays protection for the 12 while he will be dying on the cross. And he doesn't just pray for that. Um, he, what, what's really interesting, you can read Jesus' prayer in John, I believe it's chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, somewhere in there. It's a, it's a whole discourse. One of the things he prays for is, Father, I don't pray that you would take them out of the world, but I pray that you would keep them from the influence of the world. Keep them in this place. Keep them as salt and light. The world's not the enemy. You sent them into the world, but the world does have danger, and so would you protect them from that danger and keep them being salt and light instead of being twisted and pulled down into the darkness? Jesus prayed his last night on earth, even as he's about to go to the cross and accomplish the greatest work of protection ever. And it's not just Jesus. Uh, Paul, the guy writing this chapter, um, has another letter where he writes another famous chapter that happens to be on spiritual warfare. And at the end of that chapter, he writes this in Ephesians 6.18. He says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. What he's saying, the repetition of all the all, 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 all there, if you're an underliner, you might underline the alls. What he's saying is we should always be praying. Because we do war against spiritual beings and spiritual powers. Because the world is broken and it so often works against love and justice. And if you think you can protect anyone from all of that, you're crazy. Even if you're a type 8, you cannot protect someone you love from all that is out there. 
but God has invited us to come and make known our concerns and our cares to him. And that includes lifting up the people we care about and asking that God would protect them from what we cannot. And because I'm type A, I will say this, this does not make prayer a replacement for action. We'll get to action in the next three points. What I'm saying is, what if you led with this? What if you made it a regular habit in your life to lift those that you're in relationship with up to God in prayer? And where you have concerns for their well-being, you submit those to the Lord. And ask God, I know that you can change hearts. Golly, you've changed mine. Would you intervene in their life? Would you show up through providence and circumstance in such a way that might woo them to respond to you? Would you protect them? from the dangers in their life. I think at times it's okay. Would you protect them from that relationship, from moving there, from doing that, and leaving the results entirely up to God? What if you made those things known to him? Um, I tried this out this week um, as I was just thinking about this message and how love protects, and um, I was amazed to find how many little things where God would show up and do something that I wasn't thinking of. It wasn't the solution I was thinking of. It was outside of the box for me, and it was exactly what the situation needed. And it was more than I could do myself. I'm increasingly starting to think. I'm increasingly starting to wonder how much protection we sacrifice for ourselves and others because we simply don't pray. Or we pray at the very end after we've done all of our work and we just sprinkle a little, Jesus, please make everything that I just worked on happen. I wonder how much protection we sacrifice. And frankly, I don't know. I've been thinking about this all week, but I intend to find out as I seek to make this one a growing point in my life. So number two, pray. I don't have a fancy phrase for you. Maybe the simplicity of it will make it stick. Number three, encourage often. Um, what you'll hear about in just, just about every sport will say, the best defense is a good offense. And in fact, if a sport doesn't say that, then I will say that's a boring sport because the best sports, the best defense is a good offense, and it's the same that's true here. Uh, if you want to protect someone from harm, the Bible tells us one of the best things you could do is spend a lot of time praising that which is good. Here, here's just one example. Hebrews chapter 3 uh, says this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So that would be the kind of thing you want to protect someone from, right? A hard, sinful, unrepentant heart that turns away from God. That's on the list of things we'd want to protect from. Okay, how do you do it? Verse 13. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What he's saying is um, we need to catch one another doing it right. We need to say that's it. Keep it up and encouraging and sending that letter and sending that message and sending that text and having that word that says I saw that. That was excellent. That was good. That was beautiful. Keep going. That was good. We need to have a positive vision of God and life and human flourishing that we call people to and say, can you believe what God has in store for us? Let's go. This is incredible. This gets back to what we were saying last week about being more known for what we are for than what we are against. 
We have to encourage with that which is good. This is the emphasis of the Bible, to say God has so much for us. There's so much that is good out there. And what the author of Hebrews tells us is we have to remind one another of this truth often. Because we are a forgetful people. And we are easily distracted from that which is good, beautiful, and true. And so we should encourage one another often. How often? Every day. How often do you do that for? As long as it's called today. I love the repetition of the Bible. Do this every day. For how long? Oh, well, as long as it's called till today. So as long as time's still a thing. We will need this until glory. When we see in full and know in full, and that'll be the last week of the series. It's going to be awesome. Um, one of the best examples of this uh, comes from C.S. Lewis. Um, C.S. Lewis is really, like, every week I could use him as a sermon illustration, so it's, it takes a lot of self-control. I'm not using Lewis every week and boring you, but this one, guys, this is money. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a sermon that got turned into a book called The Weight of Glory. And in this book, he's talking about, he's really engaging kind of this objection that would say, man, you know, Jesus asks us to say no to a lot. He says to, like, pick up your cross and follow me, and that kind of sounds like no fun. That sounds like not a good time, right? Like, I don't want to say no to things if I think it's good, especially if, if the world's telling me this is good, and I don't want to say no to it. And so he's engaging this objection, like, is God anti-fun? If you want to really be alive, do you have to get out from underneath his boot? And here's what Lewis says to this question. He writes this. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Look, I know there are some of you who feel right now like following Jesus is becoming impossible. As you feel discouraged, you walk in here confused, ready to give up. And I've been there. Um, here's what I can tell you from experience when you're in that place. Saying, do I want too much? Is following Jesus impossible to achieve the life I want? Here's what I could tell you from being discouraged myself, being ready to give up, is it has been hearing people say things like what Lewis just said, that God has used to pull me back and to keep me going and to protect me from an even greater harm. It's coming into church on Sundays and seeing people sing the praises of God and lift their hands in worship when I know they've got so much going on in their life that's made me go, that's right, Jesus is worth it. Like, I'm not crazy here. Like, there's something real here. He is actually good. 
It has been when I've been in a conversation and heard someone talk about how God is working in their life and redeeming a difficult situation and how, you know, something God said no to was actually ultimately for their good and they're so alive now that it reminds me that the gospel is real, that God is for me, that sin and death are defeated in old news and that new creation is on the march and that through Jesus I have the spirit of the living God inside of me who wants to work through me to bring new creation and redemption and healing wherever I go. And for whatever I'm facing, there is not a thing that anyone can offer me that is more sure a foundation than that, more life-giving a truth than that, more uh, soul-satisfying a relationship than that. And frankly, as a doer, there's nothing that can give me a greater purpose than that. But I often forget that. This is why the author of Hebrews says we need to remind one another of these things. Because some days you're going to have a good day and I'm going to have a bad day and I need to hear from you. And one day you're going to have a bad day and I'm going to have a good day and you need to hear from me. And this needs to be a thing that we do often with one another because we tend to forget. And if we don't rally our hearts around the truth, we can drift from it. And I'm telling you, if we can be a good news people who remind one another through the way that we sing, through the way that we live together all week long, through the way that we live our lives. If we can be a good news people that's so focused on the good life that God has for us that's so much greater than the things that we have to say no to. If we can be a good news people that are so obsessed and just can't get over the fact that he saved us and has these kinds of treasures and rewards waiting for us that we get to experience even now, if we can be a good news people that remind one another of what a treasure Jesus is, I'm telling you, I believe this will have a powerful effect on the struggles that you and I face every single week. It has for me. I bet a lot of you have experienced this too. And so I just want to remind you what the scriptures say. According to the author of Hebrews, one of the best ways that we can protect one another is by encouraging one another with the good news of Jesus and all that he is. Number four. If after all the positive encouragement and prayer, someone continues to drift towards danger, then there does become a point where number four, uh, we need to warn others when they are drifting towards danger. We need to speak up and say something. And, and here's what I just want to tell you. I, I never want to leave, uh, let you leave here um, unprepared for what's going to happen. If you do this, you can be prepared. If you, if you tell someone, hey, I think that's sin. I think that's not God's best for you. I don't think that that's going to lead to your flourishing. You should be prepared for someone to say, that's unloving. It's the knee-jerk reaction of people today. And, and I said this last week, I'll, I'll say it again, I don't think we should be quick to dismiss that critique because maybe they're talking about something in our tone or our posture and how we're saying something and we're speaking the truth but not in love like a jerk. And so we really need to consider the whole chapter here, right? But if after, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you consider and you go, man, I'm not, I'm not warning them because I'm impatient and unkind and proud and self-seeking. I'm warning them because I love them and I'm worried about them. 
and I see them drifting towards danger. If that is your conclusion, that what you need to rest in at the end of the day is the Bible's just going to disagree with that person that tells you that's unloving. What the scriptures tell us is that love always protects. And if someone is in danger, what the scriptures tell us is we need to love them enough to speak up and to say something if they're in danger. And at one level, I think we all get this. Like if my kids are playing in the front yard and they're playing soccer and they're about as coordinated as dad and so the soccer ball ends up in the street and they go chasing after it because they're about as driven as dad, um, there's not a human on the planet that would see my kids running towards the street and say, ah, let them do what they want to do. Don't tell them what to do. It'd be unloving to say stop. Not a person on the planet that would say that. They would say, watch out, you're going into the street. Especially on my street where people fly around the corner right there. I would have to hate my kids so much to watch them drifting towards the street and sit by and say nothing. I think we all get this at that level. But for some reason, there's this brain-broke disconnect when it comes to our relationships, when someone begins to speak and warn and tell us about the danger in our life that we, we get defensive. We say unloving. It's not just other people that say unloving. Don't you have that gut reaction like, who are you to judge me? Someone that loves you. Warning you. But we forget the street thing. And so we get defensive. And sometimes maybe you're not someone that gets defensive because you've just been graced by Jesus to grow beyond that level of immaturity. Praise God for you. I wonder if sometimes you fail to speak up because you're afraid of getting chewed out by that person that doesn't have that same maturity. And I love you. I need to call that what that is. Failure to speak up when someone is drifting towards danger is the definition of unloving. It is the opposite of love because love always protects And according to this chapter, love warns someone when they're wandering into the proverbial street. Always. Love always protects. And so my question for you is, when is the last time you loved someone enough to do this for them? Um, Are there any hard conversations you need to have this week where you've seen someone drifting into danger and you've just thought, I I don't want to get chewed out, I'm not going to say it. And where, frankly, you've lacked enough love to speak into their life. Are there any conversations you need to have? Are are you the person that needs to receive the word that someone's speaking into your life? And instead of getting angry or defensive or focusing on how they say it, maybe process with the Holy Spirit what they've said to you. This would be another sermon, but the proverb says um, a wise person is able to receive warning and rebuke from even a dumb person that lacks love. So we should all be able to receive this. But I think our goal should be to give it in love instead of expecting everyone to be that mature. And now I'm off into another sermon. The point is, love always protects. And sometimes that means warning where someone is drifting into danger. Number five, sacrifice. Were you waiting for this one? 
this is the one I think we most often think of, right? That we can protect others by putting our life on the line, by giving our life so that someone else can go free. Um, Jesus says there's no greater love than this, that someone would lay their life down for another person. And so if you're someone that puts your life on the line for the sake of this community every day, if you're a law enforcement officer, if you're a first responder, if you've served in the military, um, man, heck, if you serve on the security team here at church, if you're the kind of person that physically puts yourself in danger so that other people can be safe, we just want to honor you and say thank you for your service. There's something that is good about that. Jesus says there's no greater love than someone that would lay their life down like that. Without cheapening in that any way, I just want to point out that in Jesus' kingdom, you might not have that job, you might not be Jack Bauer that can like physically handle yourself, but we all have an opportunity to do this in Jesus' kingdom. In Jesus' kingdom, we get an everyday way, not just a one-time laying down your life, but we have an opportunity to sacrifice our good for the sake of others in love to protect them. But it's not by laying down our physical life, it's by laying down our rights. Some of you are like, I would rather die, lay down my life. Because this is hard. Um, but Paul has just addressed this. I think this is one of the primary things he has in mind when he writes this. A couple chapters earlier in the letter to the Corinthians, chapter 8, he talks about the idea of food sacrifice to idols. And it's a whole long discussion. Basically, it was a morally debated question. Can Christians do this? And what Paul says back in chapter 8 is, yeah, sure, Christians can do this. But more important than what you can do is how you can love others. He makes the point, if you're just walking around strutting your rights and what you get to do and flaunting everything that you're technically allowed to do, and that you flaunting your rights actually causes another brother or sister to stumble who's weaker in their faith that doesn't have the same understanding as you, if you do that, you've gained nothing. And in fact, by the time he gets to chapter 13, he says, not only have you gained nothing, you are nothing, and you end up like that clanging symbol. And you might think you're sophisticated, but according to Paul, you are swimming in the shallow end of the pool. Instead, he calls the Corinthians and us and anyone who would read what God has said through him in this letter. He calls us to a higher plane of existence that considers the needs of others is more important than our own. That's willing to lay down our rights to protect the hearts and the conscience of those around us. And this is frankly what the kingdom of God is all about. And I, I'm hearing so much talk in the church today. Not our church. I mean, yeah, our church too. But like the capital C church. Christians today, at least in the West. I'm hearing so much talk in the church today about what rights we have and what we should get to do. Like, do you remember the whole masking thing? Wasn't that nuts? I'm talking about the person that decided differently than you. Weren't they nuts? Okay, like I'm not going to take sides on that one today, but let's just have some real talk. I think that was so nuts because we lacked love so instead of focusing on what the people around us needed we were focused on our rights and what we get to do and i'm telling you i'm not taking sides here this applies as much to the person who says i have a right to not wear a mask as it does the person who says well i don't have to show up to church and encourage other believers with my presence i don't have to do that to be a christian this applies across the aisle i told you i'm an equal opportunity offender 
I'm not taking sides right now. What I'm saying is I think this whole ordeal has exposed a lack of love in us. Where, yeah, maybe you don't have to do those things to be a Christian. Maybe you technically have a right to do or not do some of those things. But if you are constantly focused on what you have the right to do and what you get to do and what you are technically allowed to do, you will never experience the fullness of life God is holding out to you in this chapter. What Paul tells us, is that love always protects. And at times that means laying down your rights to protect those around you. Even if they're wrong. Even if you have the sophisticated position. It means saying, I care more about you than me. That I'm living a life of love, not a life that's constantly focused on all the things that I get to do. And so, and, and it's not just the mask thing. I think you could really apply this to so many of the debates and so much of where there's heat in the discussion in the church today. It's because we forgot that in the kingdom of God, greatness is not found in flaunting your rights. It's found in giving up your rights for the sake of others. And so to just make this really practical, the next time you feel like your rights are being infringed on anything, by anyone, what if, you asked, what if you thought about this as an opportunity to say, is there an opportunity here to lay down my rights to protect this person? To give something good to them because clearly they're crazy and they need something good. That clearly they need Jesus. And so maybe I could lay down my rights to serve them and show them a better way. And maybe... Laying down your rights is a key part of how love always protects. And, and look, this is why I saved it for last. I know this is not easy. I know this is not the way the world works. But what Paul is saying is there's a better way of living than the way our world works. A way called love that we ultimately see in Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped and held onto. But instead, he emptied himself. He laid down his rights and came to the earth to be with us. Which I like you, but if I were the eternal God who made everything, I don't know that I'd be hanging out here right now. Again, I'm not the eternal God, so I like you. We're cool. But he left heaven to be here with us to show us the way that life was made to be. He entered into the world that we broke to show us how it can be right again. He entered it to show this is the way to flourishing. This is the way I've designed you for. And he entered it to encourage us with the true vision of life. He entered it to warn us about the problem of sin that lives in all of us. And Jesus not only laid down his rights by coming to earth, but on the cross he laid down his life to protect us from Satan, sin, and death, and to free us from every enemy that could ever harm us so that he could bring us into a new world that will one day not need protection. The story of the Bible ends with the city of Jerusalem, and there's gates there, but the gates are left open because there's nothing to protect from anymore because Jesus has made an end to all injustice and will live happily ever forevermore. That is the day that we are headed towards. And that is what makes Jesus truly great. 
That is why we are still talking about him today. That is why we are singing his praises. Because the love of Jesus that came into the world and laid down his life and laid down his rights, it's still changing lives today, isn't it? I know it's changing mine. I know it's changing some of yours because I have a relationship with you and I know what's going on in your life. And so look, this might not be the way that the world works. But it is powerful. It is ultimately the way that we were designed to live. And this is why after we taste of his love in the gospel, Jesus sends us out to make this love known to the world. And and here's what that practically means for us, I think, on a message like this. That means we don't complain about the world for being worldly and get angry at non-Christians for acting like non-Christians. I think what that means is we step in like Jesus and love and serve and protect wherever we can and in all things show love and seek to show a better way. To help those who are still caught in darkness like we once were come to experience the light and the life of God's kingdom. This is what your life can be about when you taste of the love of God like Paul did. And so my question for you as we turn to respond to this message is, what would it look like for you to do that this week? Where might you have an opportunity to love someone in your life enough to protect them in one of these ways or in something else the Holy Spirit's been highlighting to you this morning? Here's what I'll tell you. If you try to do it, it will be hard. But that's the point. This is an otherworldly way to live, and it is meant to be hard and to make you lean in, to say, I can't do this in my own strength. It doesn't say that Chad always protects. It says that love always protects. And so where I don't have the energy to have this conversation right now, Lord Jesus, I need you to fill me with your spirit to have a greater love to get in the game here because this is too hard for me right now. And so look, this is true today, this is true of anything in this series, where this series is pressed on us. This is an opportunity to turn to God and say, this is hard. I lack love. I want to love like this. Thank you for loving me and my lack of love. Would you fill me afresh with your love so I might overflow with that love to others? Because this is what I want. This is the deep end of the pool. Where day in and day out, we are seeking to lean into love. And for where it is hard, where it is not yet natural for us, we depend on God and say, fill me afresh with your love so I have something to give in this moment until the day that I show up in glory and you make me complete. Until then, I depend on you for every breath. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you love us, particularly in light of this morning. I thank you that you love us enough to protect us. Thank you for all the ways that you are at work protecting each one of us right now. Thank you for bringing us here this morning to hear about your love. Um, Lord Jesus, we want to be a people who love like you have loved us. So would you fill us afresh with your love right now so that we might walk out of here overflowing with your life and your love for those around us. Help us. We can't do this without your help. In your beautiful name I ask. Amen.